Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. All right. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, uh, our YouTube channel, Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm Alan Bevere. I'm a pastor, professor, and I'm a, a fan of Ohio State football. And so is our guest today. Dan, do you think we're going to have uh, football this fall? Still still iffy, isn't it? Yes. But it looks like they're, they're going forward with it at this particular point. Yeah, it is really going to be interesting to see what happens. And um, particularly if there is any, uh, there is a resurgence of this thing in the fall, as they're saying, we might get three or four weeks into it and then be out of it again. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, well, that sort of leads into our discussion of lament, although I suppose lamenting <laughs> football is not as important as some other things. So our subject... Uh, Speak for yourself. Yes, right, right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm baseball. You know, I, I, like, I love football, but I love baseball, yeah. so I'm lamenting that. Um, uh, our discussion today is lament. Um, lament uh, from the perspective of the scriptures and in Christian perspective, why is lament important? Um, and why is lament important even in times, uh, perhaps uh, difficult times? What is it important in our relationship with God as a covenant community to practice lament? Dan Hawk is... Um, uh, the professor of uh, Hebrew and Old Testament at Ashland Theological Seminary uh, here in Ashland, Ohio. He and Linda are also uh, um, are active in the congregation that I serve, Ashland First United Methodist Church, uh, which is a wonderful thing to have, have the two of them there. Uh, Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Okay. Um, I... Uh... This is my 25th, just completed my 25th year at, at Ashland. And uh, it's been a real blessing to, to be here uh, teaching at the seminary, being a part of First Church. Um, I, my, my particular interests have to do uh, with uh, the narrative literature of the Bible. That's where I, I uh, really gravitate. Uh, but uh, uh, also uh, dabble in biblical theology, particularly in the areas of, of of violence and how the biblical texts construct and contest uh, ethnic and group identity and how religion plays into that within biblical texts, how we use biblical texts and how, how we can use them as lenses for interpreting culture and helping the church find its way uh, to faithful witness in the context of, of cultural shifts and, and changes. So. And uh, you mentioned my wife, Linda. Yep. So she's, she has a real job. She's an elementary music teacher. <laughs> well, you know, so, so, you know if, if, if you and I can't have real jobs, at least our spouses have to. That's right. Yeah. You've got a couple of sons. And, uh, yep. Yeah. One in Berlin. Just moved, uh, moved from Frankfurt to Berlin, Germany in the midst of a pandemic. Oh, boy. And uh, my younger son is an EDM musician in Los Angeles. So... Very good. All right. 
Uh, boy, so we've known each other for 25 years. That's just almost astounding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, it's been good. So anyway, well, good. Um, uh, let's, uh, let's, by the way, I should mention that uh, you have published, written and published in uh, commentaries on Joshua and uh, you have written on conquest narratives. Your latest book is The Violence of the Biblical God. Uh, which was published, was it back in the fall, I want to say, something like that? Yeah, about uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago. Yeah, an excellent, an excellent resource. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I really also appreciated the fact, after you got through uh, dealing with violence in the Old Testament, you gave us a little chapter in Luke that just sort of uh, what our appetite for continued discussion and how the New Testament deals with some of these things. So that was pretty mm -hmm. good as well. Um, so anyway, uh, appreciate your work in that area. Uh, so let's talk about lament. So let me let me just give you a little personal background to get the conversation going. I grew up in a very, an independent, low church, non-denominational tradition, where we just never encountered the Psalms, um, except for the, the nice Psalms, I guess. Psalm 23, the comforting Psalms, <laughs> the praise Psalms, uh, Thanksgiving Psalms, but no lament psalms, and it's, what is it, like two-thirds of the psalms are lament psalms? Is that right? Oh, I don't know. There are a lot of them. They yeah, yeah. I, I, want, I want to say about two-thirds, but I can't remember if that's quite right or not. Uh, so, so when I finally started to really entertain the lament psalms uh, in college, I was actually pretty surprised at mm -hmm. how raw they are and how raw in their language toward God. So with... with with that in mind, let's talk first. What are laments? How would you how would you define a lament? Well, uh, I would define it first of all. A lament in Scripture is a form of prayer, so it's a way of speaking to God. It's an expression of uh, expression of disappointment or protest or complaint. There are different. Actually, there are different words used for lament. Sometimes you'll hear the Psalms in particular termed as complaints or protests, but they all have to do with uh, expressing out of a context of faith and relationship with God uh, what it means to be in really hard times. So uh, as you note, the, the laments, uh, there are a lot of laments. They're the, the most numerous form of prayer and, and Psalms in the Psalter. Uh, there are a lot of laments in prophetic literature. Prophetic literature tends to go in, in slightly different ways. Uh, there are, and they cover the whole range of human experience and the whole range of bad stuff that happens to people, from sickness to uh, bad, bad people saying or doing nasty things to me. Or uh, on the individual level, there are corporate laments. So laments that uh, the covenant community raises as a community that have to do, in the Old Testament, they tend to have to do with national, some type of national calamity, a military defeat, uh, uh, some kind of, of, of famine, those types of things. But uh, they're kind of, uh, Israel's version of, of singing the blues. Yeah. Uh, laments, they, they actually tend to have a, a stereotypical form that, that identifies them. Uh, often they move from, uh, God, where are you? Uh, don't you see what I'm dealing with? 
I'm, I'm in some deep trouble. There's a, a kind of a, an elaboration of what that trouble is and a gradual moving toward an expression of faith uh, in, the, in the Psalms, uh, although that's, that's uh, not where all of them end. Some of them are just raw uh, complaints or protests about what is happening. So I guess, so why do we need these laments? I mean, I, I mean why, why did Israel include these in their, in their uh, hymn book, if you will, in their worship? I mean, I, I know some people, and I've actually been told by some parishioners over the years is, you know, I go to church to get charged up and feel good. And, you know, the last thing I want to do is read uh, some psalmist singing the blues. Uh, you know, why, why do we need this literature uh, as a church? Why do we need to? Why do we need to lament? Well, I think there are, there are any number of reasons. Uh, I think the first one I would mention is that that uh, laments, in a way, remind uh, faithful believers that our relationship with our Creator is a dialogue, mm. and not a monologue. Um, and by that I mean. We, we, we use the language of relationship, and the God of the Bible is a relational deity, uh, a deity that, that seeks to be involved uh, with uh, the deity's creation, seeks to form relationships, to, uh, to form deep relationships. We see that over and over again through scripture in, in all, of its, uh, all of its forms, that uh, fundamentally, our faith, biblical faith, is, is uh, focused in and centered in a relationship with God. And if, if, if that is the case, then um, what both partners bring to the relationship and what both partners have to say in the relationship matters. So some people have this idea that, that uh, biblical faith is just our, our job is just to obey or to submit to God, do what God tells us, and, and, and don't say anything um, in, in response. But uh, that's, a, that's a monologic faith. Uh, and it, it really says something different about the nature of the relationship. Uh, more, I, John Wesley talked about the difference uh, between the faith of a servant and the faith of a friend. And biblical faith is the faith of a friend. Uh, so it's a way of saying, uh, it's a way of affirming the relationship by saying that what, that God is concerned about our experience, uh, what we have to say, what we have to bring to God matters. Um, I, I think it's also a way of, of being honest uh, with ourselves and not suppressing or hiding or, you know, a robust experience of faith in God is uh, is going to have some complications. Mm. There are going to be times when the dots don't add up. There are going to be times of uh, disappointment or uh, uh, just confusion about w what it means to continue in faith. And um, laments invite us to share our responses. Again, it, it, it's a form of prayer. So as a biblical prayer, it's a way of saying these kinds of prayers uh, are appropriate. 
uh, these kinds of prayers when we come to God and we say, God, I, 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 I don't understand what's going on, or I don't understand why you're acknowledging, you're, you're ignoring me why I'm, while I'm in such pain or in such confusion. Yeah. Uh, that those are, honor, um, those are honest and appropriate ways to, um, to respond to God. So, yeah, um, one of the things that strikes me, too, as you say that, is the lament psalms, uh, the the brutal honesty, particularly of some of them, just the raw honesty of the psalmist toward toward God. And I, I remember one of the things that did surprise me when I started to really dig into the lament psalms was I was always told growing up that whenever you pray to God or address God, you always had to be respectful. And respectful meant not being angry with God or not saying, hey, God, what the heck's going on here? It's always being respectful and submissive. And I think that's what's, so that was the first thing that struck me <clears throat> was that when I, how I was told to pray was not how some of these psalmists prayed. Yeah. So, so why is it, and of course it's not true across the board, we know there are churches and church traditions where lament uh, happens in worship on a fairly regular basis, and, and of course prayers of confession, which are a form of lament, I think. Um, where, why is it that uh, for uh, swaths of Protestantism, is, is lament just seemingly absent? <laughs> Well, I think you put your finger on one or two of the reasons already. Um, one is this very strong element in American contemporary Christianity or, or traditionally that it's not appropriate to question God. I mean, that if you question God, then in some way your faith is not strong. Uh, so we've got a whole theological grid to work through there that obscures then if, 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 if that's your idea that you don't question God, then um, in a sense, that's, that's going to uh, predispose you not to re even notice that those kinds of Psalms are there. Mm. Um, we've got a, a high, it, it seems to me a, a high premium on faith. So, uh, you know, you just, you just need to have faith. And, and uh, secondly, and so when you're in tough times, when you're in times where things look really desperate or you don't really know what's going on or you're suffering, you just need to have faith and, and um, you know, think positive thoughts, think faith thoughts, incline your, 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 your spirit toward hope. And, and all of that is, is important. But what the laments have to say to us is that um, that expressing this sense of disappointment, expressing this sense of um, uh, questioning God, it is really a faith-building enterprise. I mean, the, the laments are there uh, because in in the course of any relationship. Our relationship with God being no different. Um, at, at some point in those relationships, if they're authentic and real, both parties are going to disappoint each other yeah. at, at, at some point. Um, and, and laments say in very raw terms, God, I have an issue with you. 
Uh, I'm, you, you, you're, you're not standing by me. Uh, you're not being for me who you said you were going to be. Uh, I feel like you're just leaving me out there to, you know, to, 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 uh, to just be dangling in the wind. No. Uh, I don't understand why you're not, you're not there for, you're not being there for me. And I don't understand this. Uh, and those are, those are types of experiences in relationship that, that many of us are common, uh, you know, are aware of. But it, it's hard to translate that to God uh, and, and really to maybe even admit that um, we don't really feel that God is at some points really being uh, for us who we think we should be. And, and what laments, I think, do in, in those situations is they really force us to be honest mm. uh, about what we're in the relationship for. I mean, am I still in this relationship even when I feel that God's not there for me in the way that I expect? Uh, am I in this relationship when I feel like God stepped away? Uh, and so, so coming back to your, your question then, those, those kinds of questions and questions like it, it seems to me really don't fit well with the more kind of victorious living, self-fulfillment yeah. kind of faith perspective that a lot of contemporary Christianity has right now, that just says, man, we are, we are victors. We have overcome in Jesus Christ. We don't, you know, we shouldn't be distracted or, or disappointed or pulled down by the tragedies of life. We have already prevailed through Christ Jesus and just ramp up your faith and you'll come through it. And, and of course there's, there's truth to that, but it's uh, when it becomes that all encompassing vision of, of how you relate to God, then uh, you're missing something, I think, very, very uh, important for faith development that scripture gives to us. And I've also wondered in reference to what you just said, if there isn't an element of Gnosticism in that, meaning, hmm. meaning that, of course, Gnosticism, Christian Gnosticism, second and third century movement, in which uh, the physical was bad, the spiritual was good, this dichotomy, um, and that with this, this uh, keeping the faith no matter what almost ignores or can almost ignore or if not ignore at least minimize the serious suffering that takes place. Mm -hmm. That that you know uh, people are suffering, people are hurting, and it's going to be yes, but just trust in the Lord. And of course, yes, we should trust in the Lord. But it's almost it almost comes off as a way to not have to deal with the suffering, yeah. to not have to deal with the problems of just to say, you know, I got Jesus. Uh, uh, don't worry, be happy, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, there's a there's a deep strain in Christian spirituality uh, that really looks at lament, even in its rawest forms, as one of the deep ex, deepest expressions of faith. Mm. Quite the opposite, not the uh, something you shouldn't do, but actually a, a very profound and mature expression of faith. So um, you'll recall that on the cross, uh, one of Jesus's last words was the quotation 
from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, I have a feeling, just my hunch, but I have a feeling that Jesus, while he was suffering agony on the cross, wasn't thinking through his head, okay, I've got a number of messianic prophecies to fulfill here, so i got to make sure that I, <laughs> I say all of them. <laughs> yeah, um, didn't have the checklist with him. No. I mean, this came out of his humanity, uh, out, of, uh, out of this identif divine identification experience, what it means to be human, and he took that in the fullest depth. And, and Jesus, at the moment of his deepest suffering, uh, voices this question and asks God, why have you abandoned me? Uh, and it's, you know, sometimes I think we, we gloss over that and yeah. we miss the real profound thing that, that Jesus was doing there and that the gospel writers are doing in reporting it. And that is, I think, among other things, um, it, in Jesus doing that, Jesus opens the way and models that, that this is, a, again, this is an approach this is the, a right way to respond to God in the midst of suffering. Jesus yeah. did that. And, and if we follow the example of Jesus, then praying these types of prayers is a right thing to do. It's an appropriate thing to do in the midst of suffering and tragedy because it takes us deeper into relationship with God. Paradoxically, at the very moment we're saying, God, you're not there for me. Yeah. It's interesting when you say that, though, I mean, when you think about it, the deepest relationships that we have, the deepest human relationships we have, uh, because they're so deep and so close, we're going to hurt one another we're, at times. We're going to disappoint one another. We're going to, and, and, and if, if it didn't bother us, it would raise questions about how deep are those relationships. So um, I, I, you know, Sometimes your children, as they grow up, disappoint you, and I have no doubt I've disappointed them at times. And it's because yeah. it's because we care about each other. So it, it stands to reason that if I've got a, a relationship with God that's of any substance, at times I'm going to be. Uh, I mean, I, there's going to be an argument. Yeah. Um, and God seems to be able to handle it. I mean, there's a couple of times, as you know, a couple of times I I, I just really love. Uh, the conversation between Abraham and God over Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that's, not, that's not really a lament, but it's Abraham trying to bargain. You know, if there'll be 50 people, would you judge it? 40, and he finally gets down, excuse me, I, I just, let me ask again, if you get down to 10, and God engages this. Um, you know, and then, of course, there's the one after, I think it's the golden calf, where Moses and God, where Moses is pleading with God to say, you know, your reputation's on the line here. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's this give and take going on in this kind of relationship. So, um, yeah, I, and I think, but, you know, that, that Abraham before Sodom uh, interchange is one of those wonderful that both of them that you mentioned are, are wonderful examples of uh, God being responsive uh, to the human partner, to the yeah. friend, and God being willing to adjust what God is planning to do on the basis of the, God seeks the input from the human partner. And I, I think you've probably seen it as a pastor probably more than I, but um, sometimes when we, you know, people, people experience these crushing moments 
uh, of deep tragedy uh, where uh, where the dots you know are not connecting when the structures of faith that they have learned yeah. just don't seem to fit and uh, because they they've they've been so steeped in those don't question God have faith or whatever those those other teachings are um, when that time comes uh, they leave yeah uh, or they they decide that this relationship just isn't isn't working and so I think there's a profound pastoral task uh, for Christian pastors and leaders particularly uh, with respect to people who are struggling with their faith struggling with tragedy struggling with with suffering uh, to this is just a remarkable resource to help people walk through that relationship uh, and and just to continue to ask um, am I you know am I still in this relationship is this something that I'm committed to walking through with God um, so there are a lot of I think very exist very deep existential questions um, and challenges that that the laments can play for us uh, that are are unfortunately lost in in a more kind of celebratory triumphal Christian theological perspective yeah I, I uh, um... And I think what comes what plays into a lot of this is the kind of pop theology out there that if you're really faithful, things will go well. And if you're right. misery or something, God's trying to tell you something if you've experienced God. So, so, so God's will then is determined based on whether or not things are going well for me. Um, which of course, as you know, uh, you know, is, pretty superficial reading of scripture and, and what the will of God is, but that, you know, uh, and, and I, and I struggle with that, Dan, because I don't think you have to read scripture deeply to see that suffering so often is at the center of the faith and at center of who's faithful. I mean, Jesus dies on the cross, falls in prison, uh, and, uh, gets into all kinds of trouble and, and, and so I, I sometimes just wonder, what is it about our reading of Scripture that in a superficial way we can't even see that that's there? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, you know, uh, in the book of Job, the book of Job begins with Satan asking a really good question. Hmm. Um, and, and the heart of his question is, does Job fear God for nothing? Uh, and behind, underneath that question is the question of why are people religious? Yeah. Why do people seek relationship with God? And I, I, I mentioned that to, to come back to something you were saying earlier. I mean, uh, all of us, perhaps in one way or another, uh, exercise our faith out of this sense that somehow, um, Maybe faith is going to keep us safe from tragedy, safe from bad things, safe from things that are happening. Certainly, that's a very powerful part of, of a lot of popular Christianity today. And it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard to break that, that kind of sense that I'm, I'm really not ultimately in control. 
and that maybe my relationship with God isn't a quid pro quo where I just be the right kind of person and God protects me from, from all harm, all misery. Um, and that's, I, I, that's, I, and I met, even speaking personally, that's a hard mm-hmm. uh, commitment to uh, a, a hard perspective to, to give up. But um, well, hence why you have the laments, right? This this is not going the way. (laughs) For whatever reason, this is not going the way I want it to do with God. And what is? Just tell me what's happening here, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a difficult uh, that is a difficult challenge for all of us. But it is really maybe in our culture even more so because we tend to view our Christian faith as a sort of transaction with God, don't we? You know, God, I will, I'll, I'll throw five bucks in the plate every week and I'll be nice to the neighbor and I won't kick the dog. And in process, you'll make sure things are okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's out of that whole idea that you mentioned at the beginning. I mean, you know, why am I a Christian? Well, it, it works for me. Yeah. 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 I actually had a conversation many years ago with a young man when I was a pastor in another setting who just had kind of left the faith and he and I had lunch one day and and we were talking about Mm -hmm. it. He just said it it didn't do, it didn't help me out. You know, it didn't keep my divorce from happening, from my marriage from falling apart. It didn't keep me from losing my job that I really loved and made decent money and it didn't help me do this or that. So what's the use of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So let's talk a little bit about lament and confession because, um, uh, we, we in our setting have tended to do prayers of confession most weeks. Um, confession seems to be a necessary part of the service. I think that in some ways is a lament. Uh, but I can tell you that I've had people over the years, hasn't happened to me in a few years, but I've had people over the years come up to me and just express, um, uh, well, not outright anger, but unhappiness that we even have to say these things or, or they'll, they'll come, someone will come out to me after a certain prayer of confession we said in worship and said, that's not me. You know, I haven't done any of that or this or that. Why, why do we need to uh, confess? It, it, corporately, publicly. Oh. I mean, I mean, I, I don't think anyone would say we shouldn't confess our sins to God privately, but a corporate confession. I've, I mean, I had a pastor tell me, uh, uh, because in our Wesleyan tradition, Christians are going on to perfection that we shouldn't have to confess, which I thought was a strange <laughs> argument. Oh, but but why do we have to get together, or why should we get together and confess together as a church? Well, I I think there are there are different forms of confession. Yeah. Uh, not all lament is, is confession. Not all confession is lament. I go back to this idea of being honest in the relationship. It, it keeps me honest. It reminds me that there is a God and it's not me. Uh, and that um, I am, to the extent that uh, I am not aware uh, and that I am not um, I'm not aware of the way that, that I uh, practice or speak in harmful ways. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, my own soul is, is diminished and I'm just going to be a, a danger to myself and yeah. others, spiritually or otherwise. 
Um, but there's another there's another uh, uh, aspect of confession, lament, and corporately, and that is, uh, I think we do so because we are part of a people, uh, and we're we're part of the church, and that means that uh, what the church is involved in, in a, in some way, we are implicated in. Yeah. And so being honest about that, uh, recognizing where the church is not uh, fulfilling its, its mission and living the kind of faithful witness that it should be, mentioning that corporately is, is appropriate. And then there's, and then there's lament in, in a prophetic mode. Um, and this is, uh, this is something that Walter Brueggemann, uh, who has also spoken very powerfully about the relationality of God and uh, where I think where he goes with a lot of his writings on lament, that lament uh, publicly is a form of prophetic critique and dissent. Uh, when the church laments, um, the church is in a way saying uh, the status quo which which we're being told is just fine, everything's under control, everything is 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 uh, working well for everybody. Uh, the, the the kind of spin that the principles and powers of of every culture are trying to to put out there to maintain the sense that we're all okay. Lament is a way of saying no. Yeah. Uh, this system is broken. Uh, there there is a lot that is not right, and lament in that mode. Uh, has a prophetic edge that is different than, although uh, no less powerful than than prophetic critique or preaching. Yeah, I think Brueggemann, I was gonna bring him up and glad you did. I think Brueggemann, if I'm not mistaken, says also uh, in reference to that, that if we do not see a corporate dimension to lament and confession when, when it should be, when lament should involve that, is that, and I'm using my own words here, not Brueggemann, but that what, what we end up doing, what I end up doing, if I, if I don't have a sense that I need to corporately lament with my sisters and brothers in the church, that my faith is reduced to my own individualistic construction project, yeah. where, where my lament and confession is all about, you know, the mean word I said to the neighbor the other day, and not that I should, not that I shouldn't confess that, or maybe just being short with somebody, or mm -hmm. maybe not fulfilling something I should have. All of that stuff should be confessed, but I, I miss the big issues, of which if, that I'm either involved in actively or complicit in that I just mm -hmm. refuse to admit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's an important point. Um, one of the things that I think those in our culture, you know, we live in this in this culture that this, where identity is has been defined in what some have called autonomous individualism. I am who I am, irrespective of what anybody else says about me or the groups that I'm a part of. I determine my own destiny. I mean. Some of us, like like ourselves, have probably had that conversation with with teenagers. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not. <laughs> but um, uh, I think Tom Oden a while back called it pathological individualism. Yeah, he might have. But what we what we what we don't recognize is the Bible's frame of reference is not individual; it's corporate. Yeah. yeah. The Bible speaks to a people, 
the Bible has a people in mind. And, and um, this whole idea of defining ourselves as individuals is really hasn't been around more than about four or 500 years and, and is still in many ways a peculiarly Western idea. I mean, there, so, so it could be reasonably uh, stated that, that people in the biblical world define themselves, first of all, by the group that they were a part of. Yeah, because I'm a member of this group, this community. Here's, here's how I act. Here's what I believe. Here's what I think. Uh, and we're all in this together. I mean, when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he didn't teach them, give me this, give me this day my daily bread and forgive my trespasses. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was thinking corporately. Yeah. Um, because it, it, it's, it's uh, you know, we read the Bible with the idea of what, what did the Bible say to me? Um, but it may be closer to uh, the original kind of reading mentality to say, what does the Bible say to us? Yeah. yeah. As the people of God. Eugene Peterson talks about reading the Bible uh, with the unholy trinity. Uh, oh, right. Wants my holy need. My holy wants, my holy, yeah. And that that's how I interpret it. What does that mean? What does that mean to be so? So let me be a little bit. We'll be a little bit uh, controversial on the edge here. I mean, I can say as a pastor that um, corporate lament on certain issues is really risky and and really difficult for some people, uh, particularly when you get into very sensitive social issues. You know, I remember it's probably been now Dan a decade and a half ago, maybe maybe two decades where our conference one year, our annual conference, uh, um, Dan is an ordained elder in the East Ohio Conference as I am, we're both pastors in the conference. We uh, needed to have a prayer of public, we needed to have a service of public confession and lament for racism, for the sin of racism. And I can remember having that worship service one evening and I can remember how many of our white clergy colleagues just rejected the whole idea out of hand saying, you know, we've been through this, we fought a war over it, uh, we don't have slavery anymore, and we just ought to forget and move on. Um, and it, it was just, uh, it was a very uh, disarming thing to think that we still need to lament for the continued uh, systemic issues of racism that we are dealing with. And that, by the way, uh, as and again, that these are my words. That we what we what we did uh, with the whole slavery racism issue was, was typically American. We worked to try and fix it, and then later we thought, oh, gee, maybe we should have apologized too. <laughs> Whereas we should have apologized and fixed it, <laughs> worked yeah. towards fixing it, but we never really apologized. And and uh, but but it's it gets controversial that we can't even as a as a as a community of faith lament our com our continued complicity in these issues that are controversial yeah well um well that raises a whole oh i know a slew of issues but it, i i come back to this idea of the need to be honest mm -hmm. uh with ourselves um and again if I am part of this community, which is called the church. And uh, we, we haven't, by any means, um, uh, 
come to some sense of, of coming to terms with uh, uh, our, our history and, and, and the, the problem, one of the problems there is if, if you don't, if you're not acknowledging uh, the history, yeah. then you keep repeating it. I mean, sin works in corporate entities the same way that it does in individuals. If, if we do not recognize, confess, uh, and repent, uh, then that sin is going to just keep warping and working in damaging ways within ourselves and within our relationships. So, yeah, the idea there, there there's a whole apology culture out there that 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 is a, a kind of a uh, a light way of doing all of this. Well, we said the apology, we have acknowledged right. it, so everything's good. That's that's not the end. That's the first step. The apology is always the first, and, right? And you know, it comes if after we got to keep doing it. Yeah, if we got to keep doing it, then we're, you know we're not following through. We're not. We're not following through. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really really good point. Yeah. So so we're getting to the end of our time, um, but I want to ask you maybe one more question here, and that is, what would be your advice to the church for for those sections of the church in which we need to recover lament? How can we? What steps do we need to take? How can we help recover lament? Not only as individuals, but as as yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a tough one. Uh, I I would simply say um, to make a a concerted effort to start reading laments, uh, and the Old Testament is, as you said, they're they're replete. They're all over to read them seriously, prayerfully, uh, confront them in, in all of their, and ponder all of the, the language and the ways of, uh, and the scope of human experience that they embrace. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, begin that journey and see where uh, the, the laments take you in terms of how it shapes your vision, how it opens you up to the work of the Holy Spirit, how, uh, how our own souls may be uh, illumined, uh, and what's in our souls may be illumined, how, how pondering and praying and reading laments and spending time with them changes us. And then I think we're in a better position to begin to speak to how it could change the church and the world. Yeah, and I guess to recognize that those laments are in Scripture, and 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 therefore, uh, as the people of God, all these centuries and centuries later, that lament still matters for us and should. If, if the biblical writers could make these, uh, could offer these laments, we surely can as well. And it's not it's not outdated. Yeah, and, and it would seem to me that if, if, if we begin to take all of our frustrations, yeah. all of our disappointments, all our anxieties vertically mm. um, to God, then they don't play themselves out in the way that we're trying to, to change reality to suit our own ends. Yeah. Uh, either socially or even politically. I mean, we're, we're not relying on politics to fix things that we're angry with or uncomfortable with, uh, but we're, we're seeking God first. We're taking that to the Lord first. 
And then there's a, there is that walk with God then where we can release a lot of that. And I think at, at the end, become more faithful, mature witnesses of Jesus Christ uh, as a reconciling, peacemaking community than, than a lot of the church is at, at the present moment, at least in my yeah, well, you opened up a lot more questions for me. I mean, that really talks about doing church or being being the church in a different kind of way, and uh, which is which is disarming, uh, but important. But I like that. That's a great. That's a great last word. Um, and the other thing we could do, we'll, we'll do this in our time, is talk about uh, some of these themes that relates to your work that you've done with indigenous peoples in building relationships and some of the stuff that you've done. And I would love to have you come back and do another interview on that. If you're open to that, I would be glad to, to talk about, uh, to talk about, uh, the indigenous people and some of the, some, even the stories now that I'm, I've been reading of late, which I'm sure you have about, uh, was it, uh, who was it in the governor of North Dakota about the barriers? Did you read that? Uh, North or South Dakota, the uh, there was a there was an indigenous tribe up there that put up roadblocks into their area hmm. to check people with the coronavirus because I guess they uh. and the governor was threatening them and uh, to remove them. Although I don't understand how the governor can do that, uh, but anyway, I just I found it to be interesting that. Uh, interesting addition to the stories some of the discussions you and i had about indigenous folks and yeah how we've been with them so we'll do that for another time so thanks to dan hawk professor of uh old testament and hebrew at ashland theological seminary and uh check out his book his latest book um the violence of the biblical god so dan thank you and i hope everyone uh has a good day well, thank you, Alan, for the invitation and the opportunity to, to have some good conversation. You're thank welcome. you, Pastor. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it very much. All right. Hey, folks, I'm coming to you from my study at home in the basement. Um, it's a place that uh, I love to be to prepare sermons and uh, Sunday school lessons, and to read and write and reflect upon my faith. Uh, it is also the place where I pray and where I read scripture. Uh, I believe uh, that uh, scholarship and um, uh, theological reflection are both very important to the work of ministry in the church. I believe that the head and heart, since they've been created by God, are integrated together. And you just heard my interview today. And uh, if you uh, enjoyed what you heard, and if you found what you heard helpful, uh, let me ask you a question. How would you like to have that kind of depth of conversation about Christian faith on a regular basis? Perhaps you've been sensing a call to pastoral or parachurch ministry, or are already serving the church in some capacity as a pastor or layperson, and, and you're thinking that you need to bolster your education. Well, if so, I invite you to consider Ashland Theological Seminary in Ashland, Ohio. They offer traditional in-person classes for that face-to-face -face relational experience, and they offer an online experience for those who prefer to participate from a distance. I received my seminary 
uh, training from Ashland, and I'm forever grateful for the quality and the depth of learning that I received there. I'm never regretted uh, deciding to attend uh, Ashland Seminary. I love the place so much, in fact, that I've taught as an adjunct professor there for over 25 years. Ashland Seminary believes that the head and the heart, theology and practice are integrated together. Intellectual rigor and spiritual formation are two of the most important hallmarks of Ashland. And so if you are considering theological education, check out Ashland Theological Seminary in Ashland, Ohio. Contact information is uh, available uh, in the details of this podcast. You can also Google Ashland Theological Seminary and easily find their website. I'm offering this testimonial, and I want you to know this, I'm offering this testimonial free of charge because I believe in the mission of Ashland Theological Seminary as it serves the mission of the gospel in the world.